Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome into the Gramlick and McLean podcast. We have our first ever KG repeat guest on the podcast, the one, the only, EJ Manuel. And I have the privilege of hanging out with EJ each and every week during football season. He is a huge piece of our huddle coverage on ACC Network. You can also catch EJ each and every week with InPlay, with the great Kelsey Riggs, and Saturday mornings on Sports Center, giving us his manual to success. As most college football fans will remember, EJ was one of the most productive quarterbacks in Florida State history. He led the Seminoles to a 25-6 and record as a starter. That's good for third most wins in program history. He also became just the second QB in FBS history to win four straight bowl games. Following his career at Florida State, EJ was a first-round pick by the NFL's Buffalo Bills. Come on, KG. It is time to talk to our guy. Let's go. My brother, EJ Manuel, welcome to the show. I want to start with your Knowles because they got a big dub on Saturday. And really, against Syracuse, man, what can this do for the Knowles moving forward for the rest of the season? Well, first, Emac, Kelly, it's great to be back on with you guys. Uh, it's been a while. Um, but as far as this Florida State team, I am glad that they finally got themselves uh, in the win column. You know, I think uh, when you watch them play, you know, naturally there's still a few errors and still, you know, a bunch of room for improvement. And I'm sure that Coach Novell would say the same thing. Uh, but nonetheless, they found a way to win this football game. I really do believe that the aspect of having Jordan Travis as their starter uh, probably makes the most sense for where they are just because of his resourcefulness to get out the pocket and make plays with his legs. I think if they don't have him starting in that game, they possibly don't win it. Um, really, both teams, you know, Garrett Schrader and both uh, Jordan Travis ran the football a ton. Uh, so it wasn't a pretty football game, um, but nonetheless, a game that they did enough and enough to win. So hopefully this, you know, gives them confidence and kind of permeates throughout the rest of the season. I just I don't see enough consistent football plays. And what I mean by that is just the right play at the right time, you know, uh, not having the bonehead penalties and kind of, you know, sound like the same story uh, for years now, uh, at least the past three years. Uh, But, you know, that win was a huge one for them and, you know, still their first conference victory. It was, EJ. And I want to talk about Florida State, North Carolina this weekend, which is going to be fun. But Mac told a story on our Monday episode where you basically were a prophet and you predicted FSU was going to win when they converted on fourth down and ended up kicking a field goal, which was the difference. How did you know? Like what, how did you, is that just the Noel thing? You just have that seminal blood and you knew? Nah, Kelly, you know where I think a lot of, you know, at least the things that I say come from is just from playing ball and, you know, like you with basketball, like there's things that you see, trends that you see in a game, um, body language that you probably notice to where you're saying, okay, well, she's going to knock down uh, this pivotal moment in the game. She's going to knock down this three or she's going to make this play uh, in order to free up a player to make a big jumper. Like, so things like that, you know, obviously sometimes we're wrong on our show in the huddle. Um, I'm Very obviously rarely. last. Yeah, I'm last in our, our pickums, And <laughs> a little bit of that is because I'm kind of rooting for certain teams and they're letting me down. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I, I just felt like once he made that play, it would be enough to ice the game. And then I just kind of felt like, you know, if you put Syracuse in a situation where they have to drive the field, you know, 75, 80 yards 
to win it. Uh, I, I didn't think that they had enough in the tank to do it. So um, just because I didn't see enough consistent pass game from them, um, you know, Tucker and Schrader, or Schrader both went over 100 yards rushing. Uh, but when you get into two minute, you know, one minute situations in the half in the game, you got to throw the football. And so that's why I felt like when he made that play, it would be enough to, you know, kind of shut it down for Florida State to get that victory. And he just talk about that mentality that you saw. I mean, your guys going under center, it's third and one, fourth and one. They're under center and they make the play. I mean, I, you were ecstatic about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was. And anytime I see quarterbacks go under center, uh, I get happy mainly because the game has changed so much from the pro style that, you know, I played in. Emac, I think you, you know, a few years after me, but even sometimes Todd, no, Todd stayed in the gun a lot. So I felt like that trend of gun run and, you know, RPO game really got big, you know, in like 2014, 2015. And, uh, you know, I still think there's room for the good old under center quarterback sneak. You know, if you need three or four yards, uh, in a pivotal moment in the game, or not three or four, but, you know, two or three, uh, you can just go under center and just snap the ball and just fall forward almost, and you usually, you usually get it. So um, I was proud that they got into that. Um, sometimes I'm questioning if quarterbacks can even take a snap from under center anymore. Uh, so that was really encouraging to see, uh, not just for FSU, but really for the state of football where we're at. And EJ, everything just happens faster when you're under the gun. I mean, why are teams either backed up in their own end zone or going for it on, on the goal line and not just, hey, get under center, hand it off to your running back who's running downhill instead of all this pause and tricky and, and you know, it's just it's not good football at the end of the day. Yeah, I can't say why, E. I really feel like it goes back to what the guys are learning in high school. Um, you know, the RPO game is huge in middle and high school. Uh, obviously, the 707s of the world, like they have legit traveling 707 teams. And um, I think that's where the shotgun has really taken over. You know, in a 707 league, you're not going to really get under center and take a five step drop. You don't have to. Uh, so I really feel like that's why we don't see under center anymore. But I still believe that when you watch the teams across the country that are successful, they have moments where they get under center, Alabama, Iowa, um, you know, who else? Uh, Georgia, Georgia, big time, yeah. They, yeah, I mean, they, they got under center and goal line and just rode great guys. And I feel like that's where, you know, they can really just get those nasty hard-earned yards. And sometimes you get, a, you get it in the gun, but most of the time uh, it's easier for a defense to kind of knife through uh, some of your run blocking and, and, get, and get a chance to make a tackle for loss, especially in a pivotal moment. I agree with you guys 100%. I will say I am getting serious back in my day vibes from both of y'all, and I absolutely <laughs> love it. We are at that age now. <laughs> yes, that's what back in my day. Like, nah, I can't believe it. We are here. We are here. Yeah, we are here. Okay, the Knowles travel to Chapel Hill this weekend. And North Carolina is, it seems like they're a different team at home than they are on the road. I want to take it back to your playing days for a second, EJ, because I experienced this as a student at Clemson. Mac experiences as a player at Clemson. I'm, I'm sorry to bring that up, Mac. But there's just something about when the Seminoles walk into an opposing stadium, even if you're one and four, like you still have that Seminole on your helmet. UNC Stadium is still going to be packed out because they're playing Florida State. What was it like for you walking into an opposing stadium, knowing every person in that stadium wanted you to fail and knowing that you were going to hear the dun 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 dun, dun and just it, it just had to feel like Mac. I don't know if I can say this, but like a badass feeling as the Seminoles yeah. walking nah, in. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a lot of times, and I tell Emac, I tell Coach Rick and Jordan 
our crew at the huddle, you know, when we, you know, just, you know, watching these games, you know, and just saying how when we would get off the bus, a lot of times we felt like we had a, the best chance to win. We didn't necessarily always know we would win, but we always felt like we had the best chance to win. And I think that was a collection of guys we had on our football team uh, and the work that we put in uh, the week building up to those games. Um, you know, I, I think my experience was, you know, kind of well-rounded in the sense of when, when I first got to Florida State, we really weren't that good. You know, we had okay seasons, like 500 maybe, like, you know, a seven and five or eight and four. And, you know, the trend just got better and better as, you know, my class and, you know, you add in, uh, you know, James Wilders and Devontae Freeman's class. And once Jameis, his class came, P.J. Williams and Ronald Darby and so many great players, LaMarcus Joyner. Um, once those kind of guys started joining us, Xavier Rhodes, like so many great, great players, that that's where we started having that real swag. And it wasn't even like a matter of us making it up. Like we knew we were good, right? And so I think that's where Florida State can really – I feel like that's where they're trying to get back to. Um, and in order for you to get back to that is you just got to win games, you know, like, and Kelly, I appreciate you saying that, but FSU currently doesn't have that luster anymore. When they get off the bus, I don't think any opposing teams are, you know, really afraid or or worried, you know what I mean? And, uh, I don't think they were when I was, when I was a freshman either. I don't think teams respected us like they did once we left, you know, it was kind of shaky. And so, I think in order to get that respect, the only way to do it is to win. And Jimbo would tell us that. He was like, guys, you know, you got to understand everybody, you're going to get your best from every team you play. Just like Clemson now, they're going to get everybody's best here moving forward. They see a small little weakness. And so they're like, oh, this is our chance, right? And so, you know, as a a former Seminole when I was there, that's kind of how it was, especially my junior and senior year. So, yeah, it was special to get off the bus and have those, you know, opposing fans talking trash and, you know, you going out there and icing them on a third down or getting a victory on the road that you weren't supposed to get. Uh, but nonetheless, I felt like we earned that right. And, um, you know, teams aren't – they're not going to respect you unless you take that respect. I love That's that. That's very well said. That's right, E. When you look at, um, you know, kind of where that seminal fear came from, a guy that had a huge part to do with that was Coach Bobby Bowden. And, and you know, rest in peace, such a, such a great man. But I just wondered if you had any stories that – Man, just when you think of him, that that's the one that you go to about Coach Bowden. Yeah, yeah, I got two. So the first one, back to recruiting. Uh, I was highly recruited, and I think I'd already, um, I'd already committed to Florida State my early in my junior, or maybe yeah, maybe my early my junior year, um, or you know that transition from junior to senior year. I committed, and so Coach Bowden has his in-home visit. Um, and they come to uh, Coach Bowden and Jimbo. They came to see me at school. And so a lot of times coaches would come uh, and they kind of knew my schedule at the time because so many guys would come. And my head coach, Darnell Moore, would tell them to come when I had gym class. And so that way I could see them. I remember sometimes Coach Moore would pull out a football. Like he's like, hey, man, let's go out here and throw. And I'd be throwing in front of the coaches, doing all types of illegal stuff. But it is what it is, right? And so uh, I just remember that day um, they were there. And I want to say – one of my teammates told another guy who told another guy who told a girl who told a girl and who told a teacher and everybody realized that Bobby Bowen was in the, you know, in the building. And so at one point I would say it was maybe like 60 kids that were not in gym class at that time. Wow. Um, in, in the gym, you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to get autographs and trying to shake coach Bowden's hand. And, you know, it was so cool that he took the time to say hello. You know what I mean? It wasn't, and I went to a black high school, you know what I mean? So it, it wasn't one of those things where he he felt uncomfortable. Like it's not the nice, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying it was a bad school, but it's just different. You know, it was a different demographic. And so 
he felt completely at home. Uh, we all were super excited. Um, naturally, I was super excited because he was there to come to see me. Uh, and, you know, that, that's the first story that I'll never forget, just how, how, calm, how calm and kind he was. And then even when he came to my, my parents' house, um, the same thing happened. Somebody in the neighborhood told him that he was there. We had like maybe six or seven of our neighbors trying to knock on the door and like speak to him and say hi. So that was cool. Um, my mom made lasagna that night. I think our AC was out. So it was hot <laughs> as heck in our, in our house. So was right. sitting there dabbing his forehead. You know how it is. You know what I mean? Like come from humble beginnings. Yeah. So, uh, that's when I knew like, man, if he can hang out with us like this and these type of conditions, like I know I could go and play for him. And so I never forget that. And then uh, the second story that comes to mind, is when I was a red shirt freshman, uh, Christian Ponder got hurt with, I think, three games left in our regular season. We had to win two out of the three to go to a bowl game. And that was a big deal because we had the bowl streak going. I'm not sure what number we were at at the time, but this was 2009. And uh, it was my time to start. And so I was doing a scout team and helping our defense get prepared. And Coach Bowden called me into his office, um, you know, before we had that Monday's practice. So I had left class, went to his office. Naturally, I'm nervous, like, you know, because Ponder usually had those meetings with the head coach, you know, going into the week, talk about the game plan, what you're thinking, how, you know, how your teammates are acting, things like that. So it was my time to do it. And so I walk in there and I'm like, hey, what's up, coach? And I sit on this couch. He had like a real beautiful office, as you can imagine, so much like uh, cool novelty and just stuff that he's occurred over his, you know, lustrous career. Um, I can only imagine how much stuff he like he could sell or his family could sell that stuff for lots of money. And I mean, it like that It's like rings, helmets and jerseys, all kind of stuff. And so I'm looking around like, dang, OK. And uh, he comes in and he's just the first thing he said to me is, hey, man, how you feeling? I was like, coach, I'm feeling good. I'm saying all the right answers as a player. And he's like, all I want you to do is one thing. And I was like, OK, what's that? He said, have fun. Just he was like, don't worry about the bowl streak. Don't worry about it being my last season. Don't worry about nothing. I want you to have a good time. You've been working your butt off on scout team. I've been watching this and that. And honestly, guys, that is all the confidence I needed to go out there and play. And uh, that week we played Wake Forest. We beat them. Uh, They were a good team. They had Riley Skinner as their quarterback. We beat them on the road. We beat Maryland at home. We lost to Florida. That was the year I think Florida won the natty with Tebow and all those great players they have. But uh, then we beat West Virginia in the bowl game. I got MVP as a freshman. So we sent him out the right way as a winner. But I don't think, you know, it was just me and him in that room. And I don't know if he even really knew how much it meant to me. But just for him to say, hey, man, have fun. Like, it took all the pressure off me. So, I, it, it, like, you know, just right then in that moment, I was able to, like, my, my shoulders dropped. I was able to kind of relax. And uh, those two stories come to mind when I think of Coach B. I got chills. I, I love that second story specifically. And really the first one, too. Like, what a flex, right? You go to recruit a guy and people just follow you everywhere because you're that big of a deal. That has to be the ultimate <laughs> flags. I mean, that had to, Absolutely. right? That was part of it, I'm sure, EJ. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, it was one of those things where Coach Bowen wasn't a big guy. You know what I mean? So I think if you weren't a college football fan, you probably didn't know who he was. Um, but, yeah, every teacher, um, every faculty member would make sure they'd be outside the classroom. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just trying to be all like, just to get a chance to say hello to him. You know what I mean? So that's when I felt like I really – you know, I was proud of that, too, because I felt like I was bringing something to my high school that we hadn't had before. You know, what I mean, like we had Jimbo coming through there 
uh, Urban Meyer, Philip Fulmer at Tennessee, uh, Nick Saban landed a helicopter on our football field. Like we had wait, 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 kinda, what? Yeah. Can you yep. tell us more about that story, please? Was <laughs> so this LA? It actually wait. happened twice. This Coach was Bama Fulmer, Saban. Coach Fulmer from Tennessee did it once. He did it first, I want to say. And then Coach Saban came, literally landed on our practice field in a helicopter, got out the helicopter. I sat and talked to him in my coach's football office, which is probably the size of my bathroom. It was tiny. <laughs> Uh, and he just was very matter of fact, like, hey, you know, we like your tape. You know, we've been watching you and, you know, this and that. Come to Alabama, you know, we'll help you be, you know, a great quarterback, move on to the next level. Da, da, da. We probably sat and talked for maybe like seven minutes. Wow. Literally, like, coach shook his hand, got leaves the room, hops back on the chopper and was out. Wow. It was the what? craziest thing I've seen. Like, it was the craziest thing. He probably hung out there for 25 minutes max. Jeez. Like, boom, boom, out of there. Wow. So. Yeah, the, yeah, that that's what I mean by when I, and it's funny you ask that because I, I forget that those things happen. But you know, <laughs> I was just proud that I was able to bring that to my high school because you know Percy Harvin he did it at his and that was Lansdowne. Tyrod did it at his, you know, at Hampton High, and I was at Bayside, and so I was kind of proud to be like, man, you know, we can have some players here, and a couple guys from my high school, have, you know, moved on to college and played in the NFL. Seven five seven, where the that's dogs I love that Saban flew the chopper and was just like, hey, man, I'm at Alabama. Um, And this was pre-Saban adapting Alabama. So you were probably going to go in there and throw like 15 passes a game (laughs) and manage the game. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And no offense to him, but that's why I didn't really consider it. Right. They didn't, you know, have the offensive prowess that I was looking for. Um, but nonetheless, it was still dope. And I felt like he kind of probably did it to check off, you know, check a box maybe because he probably knew I wasn't coming there. Um, I'm pretty sure everybody knew Jimbo had, you know, had his claws in me and at a, at a pretty early time. So, yeah, it was good. Good memories. That, that's amazing. I love that, man. Well, let's move big picture ACC and then maybe lock on a couple of teams here. The league right now is basically turned upside down. KG mentioned, you know, UNC. I'm going to bring up Clemson and Miami and and really three teams that we had huge expectations for. All three ranked pretty high uh, in the preseason. Currently not ranked. EJ, what the heck is going on? Yeah, man. Well, we always talk about coastal chaos. How about just straight up chaos? You know what I mean? Like the teams that we really expected to be the flag carriers for the ACC are not. And, you know, start with Clemson. Uh, I think a lot of people took Trevor for granted. And I know, let me clarify what I mean by that is I think we took his greatness for granted. We took the fact that he was a freshman straight out of high school, took over a team from Kelly Bryant and literally did not look back. Um, I think we just expected that that was normal and it's not. Uh, Those types of players come maybe every 20 years, Uh, you know, and I would even say, you know, better than Andrew Luck when he was at Stanford. Um, You know, Trevor's different. You know, he's different. And so, um, I think that's partly why, you know, we're kind of seeing more of not saying that Clemson's struggling. I just think that it's kind of more like they're like everybody else. You know what I mean? They have great players. And a lot of these teams have, you know, four and five star players. But they I just felt like when Trevor was there, he was that eraser that when things broke down, he just had the natural ability to make it look fine and make th- everything be OK. He was like that big band aid. Um, then North Carolina started the season off and Coach Mac Brown and, you, you know, Emac, you and I have talked to Coach Brown multiple times, he doesn't like when his teams get that, you know, recognition because they seem to always kind of drop the ball, uh, you know, pun intended. And I think, uh, you know, that's kind of their next step in their evolution of a program. Uh, You would have thought they would figure it out this year because this is Sam's last year, more than likely. He's probably going to go to the league here in a few months. Um, But they're still trying to figure it out, two and two within the conference, which is really shocking. Uh, And then 
I would even say uh, Virginia Tech and, and Miami, um, both teams. Uh, Tech, the good thing for them, they're 1-0 in the conference, but Miami 0-1, 2-3 uh, overall in their season. Tough way to start their year with Alabama, so I think that's going to be a hard task for anybody, um, but beside Florida, I guess. But, uh, you know, when you, when you look at it, I was expecting the quarterback play to be elite, um, really the two quarterbacks that have played the best. Uh, and I hate saying this, they weren't in my own top five. Um, and that's Kenny Pickett and Brennan Armstrong. And those two teams, I think, are kind of like the heads in their own you know, respective conferences, maybe minus Virginia. They're one and two. Uh, but Pitt, the way that they're playing with Kenny Pickett is nothing short of great. And I think as long as he's their signal caller, uh, good things will happen for them. I could kind of see them maybe taking that next step you know, up forward and, and maybe winning the Coastal. Maybe not. But uh, if I had to bet my money right now, I would say Pitt's probably the hottest team with him at the quarterback position. I like adding the maybe not because it's still the coastal. <laughs> so you can right. try to be and logical. Anything can happen. And you know what, Kelly? I, I, the, this is what I love about college football, especially once we get into conference play, is that anything really can happen. You know what I'm saying? Like you could have an a undefeated conference team like Pitt or Virginia Tech, say if they're 3 or 4-0 in their respective time in, in the conference, and then they go out and play a team that's not doing that well, and they end up beating them. You know what I mean? So I personally – it's annoying because it's hard to – say who's going to do what when we're talking on our shows. But nonetheless, I think it's one of those leagues where anybody can beat you. Anybody can win any given Saturday. And so I think the parity of that is good. And even with the, the I guess, the off year for Clemson right now, uh, you know, it's not the worst thing. It's odd because we've been so accustomed to them having success. Uh, I still think it's one of those things where it just shows that, you know, the conference is one of those where anybody can beat you at any given moment. Yeah, I feel like we always say that, but this year it's really true. <laughs> like, it it really is. EJ, when Mac and I were brainstorming some questions for you, this is something I really wanted to ask you because you, you, you just brought up your story about taking over for Christian Ponder, and you were playing at Florida State where the pressure and the lights are brighter than almost anywhere. If Dabo called you up today, which, you know, maybe he should, called you up today and said, hey, can you just give a uh, – a, a minute of advice to DJ Uyunglele with what he's dealing with, because I, I can't even imagine the pressure he's feeling as a young guy. What would that advice be? Well, my biggest advice, Kelly, would be to relax. Uh, I, I tell DJ to breathe, man, like, for one, because he has the weight of the world on his shoulders. You know, you're the quarterback taking over for a true legend of Trevor Lawrence, um, a team that has the expectation to, t- to carry the torch uh, for the ACC. You know, let's be honest, it was kind of the it was kind of Clemson and everybody else for a long time. Um, you know, so they go out and and here's a funny thing, too. And I've heard Dabble say this multiple times. If they go out and make one or two plays in that Georgia game and they beat Georgia, the narrative's completely different. That, that, that's just true. Whether DJ played well or not, if they won that game, the narrative is still different. We'd be like, oh, what's wrong with DJ? But they'd still be winning. Right. And so I feel like for him, just kind of. I had an offensive coordinator that would always tell me, hey, man, just get back in the saddle. You know, and what that means is just get back up on the horse. You might be knocked down a little bit, but you got a lot of football left to play. To be honest, nobody really cares about what happened the first five weeks of the season. You got nothing but ball in front of you. So you got Syracuse this year or this week coming up, uh, up there in Syracuse. Just have a good game. And, I, and I'm still waiting for him to have that explosion game. I think the the best and worst thing that he did for himself was play well like super well last year. So the expectation was through the roof. Um, but the best ex- advice that I've gotten, you know, myself was to breathe because as a quarterback, 
a lot of times you have that pressure on you and then you're, you're a conscientious guy, you know, by nature, you know what I mean? Because you want everybody to like, you, you want everybody to be happy around you. You want your receivers to be happy. Your, your, your offensive line It's such a hard job um, as a QB, especially in the college ranks. And so um, I would just tell him to breathe, get back to what you do best. And that's just completing football. Just throw darts. You know what I mean? Just throw darts. Don't try to be perfect. Don't try to be, you know, doing anything super sexy out there. Just make the right play at the right time. Just do what he's done since he was yeah. a little kid at the end of the day. And maybe your, your Bowden advice or that coach gave you, have fun. Like, I think that's what's really missing for him right now. No doubt. And the only way to have fun in football is to win. But at the same time, I would say, like, smile. You know what I mean? Like, little small stuff. Like, just smile. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, you, you got to play good in order to, to smile. But, but I feel like once you smile, like, so many – and this sounds, you know, simple, but it's like once you smile, even if you have stress in your personal life, if you smile, you can imagine just all the different endorphins you release. Yeah, Kelly, it. you're doing really it. Did. Emac's not smiling, but, you know, I'm playing. <laughs> but in all seriousness, then you feel – I, I bet you felt good. You know what I mean? Now, you didn't have 85,000 fans <laughs> yelling and booing you and all that kind of stuff. So I get it. It's hard not to smile in those moments, but – when you do have a moment to celebrate and be, you know, joyful, you got to take advantage of him because at this point he's in a position where everybody wants to beat him. Every defense wants to take him down. So it's going to be hard because he has the opposition. But if he just kind of relaxes, smiles, maybe hang out with your family, fly them down to Clemson for a few days, like just get back to some love and get back to playing good football. Wise words from QB1 here. I, I, I appreciate those. and I think that's exactly what – young DJ needs to do. You talk about the fun is in the winning. Uh, We do have an undefeated team still in the ACC. Number 19, Wake Forest Demon Deacons, just as everyone probably expected. Uh, I'm totally kidding. I I think it's incredible (laughs) what Wake is doing. Sam Harmon expected it. Sam Sam did. Sam did. So you were able to go and visit Wake earlier this season on the ACC football tour. What do you attribute this hot start to? Well, I would attribute it to, first off, great coaching um, and Coach Clawson. And e, you've talked about that multiple times on our show at the huddle, uh, that, you know, how he doesn't get the national respect is beyond you. And I agree with you. I think he definitely deserves it because he's, you know, working with a team that doesn't get five stars, doesn't get four stars, uh, doesn't even really get the big time Juco guys that transfer out and, and, and want to go to Wake Forest. Um, he's getting guys that not that they're bad players, they just don't get the notoriety in high school, which a lot of times, we, as we all know, doesn't matter. You don't have to be a five-star in order to go to NFL. You can be a two- or three-star and still make it, right? So I think these guys play with a chip on their shoulder. And the biggest thing is they have buy-in. You know, they're, they're, they're completely bought into what they're taught. When I watched them practice, Jordan and I had a chance to go out there. Everybody was – it was just so systematic. Like, there was nobody, like – you know, sloughing off, laughing and joking around. And we went to a couple of different, you know, different universities. And there were teams that had that teams that, you know, the 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 mentality of the focus wasn't there. The practice habits did not show up or carry over to what we saw on Saturdays or maybe they did, but in a negative way. But at, at Wake Forest, um, everything that I saw on that, what, six hour meeting with them uh, and during the roadshow tapings is it, showing up in when they play on Saturdays. And so. Uh, they can just keep it going. And the only issue for them is their, their schedule doesn't really have the meat on the bone to kind of have that resume to say, hey, you know, if we're an undefeated ACC champion, and I know this will be another conversation we'll have at a later time, uh, but that they deserve to be in the top four. Um, maybe if they had a couple other ranked teams within the ACC to beat, they might, but uh, the way it's shaping out right now, they don't. So uh, I think this is a team that's certainly achieving what they thought they would do. 
And uh, I guarantee you they don't plan on taking their foot off the pedal. But I would just say the coaching is probably the main thing. When you take a team that has, quote unquote, three or four star talent and you make them look like five and six star guys, that's how they're playing. That's really good insight. And and look, I think if you're awake right now, you just say, we're going to win. And if we are 12 and 0, let's make the committee make a crazy decision. So we'll see. Their their schedule is really backloaded. Their November is tough. So I think if they can make it through that, that it'd be tough to leave them out. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. I just think you, you have to have those those teams. So they have Clemson, but you know Clemson's they not ranked. They didn't play anyone BC's in the non-conference. Yeah, and, it, and it's weird. Like, have the have the season panned out the way we thought it would have? They have Syracuse on the road, NC State, who's ranked right now. Clemson on the road, BC. Yeah, we'd be like, yeah, maybe they have a legitimate shot to have a resume that the committee would say, yeah, these guys deserve to be uh, in contention. But of course, they got a long way to go. But I'm just you know saying if they were undefeated at the end of the season. You know, I don't know if they have enough on their resume. Go undefeated and make them leave you out, Deeps. Yeah. That's what we're saying. Make Absolutely. them leave you out. Um, let's talk about Kenny Pickett because this guy is on a different level, EJ. Like his numbers, what have you seen? Like what's changed? Is it just clicking for him from a QB perspective? What has he done differently? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's clicking for Kenny is that he has confidence. Um, I think when you watch him bounce around in the pocket, he doesn't have – he plays fast, but he doesn't hurry. Uh, I think I had a, a coach that always would say that that's the mark of a good quarterback is you play fast, but you don't hurry. Um, Kenny understands when to take off and run to get positive yards. He understands when to break the pocket, kind of go down the line of scrimmage, and then throw a dart you know, on the run to a receiver that's breaking open in scramble drills. Um, you know, he's playing like a fifth year senior, you know, he's playing like a guy that's going to be drafted in the second, third round, maybe even the first, you know, you go to the senior bowl. I was a guy, I was a clear testament of a guy that went to the senior bowl, played it, played extremely well, got a chance to meet these coaches face to face and, you know, had, you know, great rapport with them in our meetings. So Kenny can certainly be that kind of guy, uh, 19 touchdowns, one interception. And that comes from when you know what you're doing. You know, your quarterbacks, you don't just go out there by chance and have a ratio like that. You know what you're doing. You have a rhyme and a reason to every decision you make from that position. So I'm proud of him. You know, I don't even know Kenny that well, but as a guy that covers the ACC, a guy that's been a fellow quarterback, uh, a guy that's been in the first round from this conference, I think he can certainly do it. Um, so, you know, I, I really feel like the sky's the limit. I wasn't as high on Kenny when I first started, and I think that was just because there'd be moments where, you know, he'd have great games and then he'd have bad games. I feel like now it's all consistent. Like he's he's the same guy every single Saturday. So I can expect a good game. I ain't going to say a great game always, but I'm going to say a good game. And that's all you want. You just want to be good every Saturday. And that's what's going to lead to him having a long career on Sundays. EJ, I completely agree with you. That was really my biggest knock was just the lack of consistency at times and then the lack of production scoring points. And he has totally flipped the script on both of those and and said, hey, just watch me. And so a great decision to come back. And now that we're speaking of quarterbacks, a little opportunity for both of us uh, to, to kind of rewrite history, if you will. Listen, we've been calling the ACC the conference of quarterbacks. And for good reason, the ACC has seven of the top 15, seven guys that lead all power five in passing yards. So give us, E, your top three right now for the ACC and, and what you like about each three of the guys. Yeah, well, I'm going to say the, the first one is Kenny Pickett, and a lot of people will disagree, but I, I say Kenny only because the way he plays the position. Uh, you know, he only has eight sacks on the year. Um, I think that's a big, you know, sign of progress for him. A lot of these sacks in EMAC, you know how I feel about those, man. When quarterbacks break the pocket, 
they either run out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage or they get sacked late. Like just Kenny makes the the right play at the right time. He knows when to throw the ball uh, into the second row of the stands and, and you move on to the next down. You protect your team with that. You protect your, you know, like I said, interception ratio with that as well. Uh, the second I would have to say Brennan Armstrong, uh, he's, he's gotten off to such a fiery start uh, in the first five games of this season. Um, I, I want to say he might be leading the country, maybe. I, I don't know if that's correct, but leading the country uh, in, total, uh, in passing yards. So he's going to break probably every passing record that UVA has, and he's still extremely young uh, in his career. And then I would say the third, it's tough because I, I'm going to say Sam Howe first off because I say Sam's still going to be a top 25 NFL draft pick, okay? Now, I just feel like the area where Sam, to me, digressed is his decision-making. And I, I wonder if that's because he doesn't have those two backs and those two receivers from years past to where he's trying to put everything on his shoulders and be the superhero every single time. I think there's moments where Sam will learn, throw the ball away or hit your check down or, you know, uh, maybe check it to a run play. Don't feel like you have to chuck it down, you know, 60 yards, every, you know, not every play, but you don't have to make and go for the long ball every single time. And that's where some of those sacks have come because he's, you know, sometimes packing snowballs, waiting for those things to develop. Like Emac, you say packing snowballs. And so I think he's still the third. He's the, I would say he's playing the third best right now, but then it's tough because you got Sam Hartman playing great. Devin Leary's playing great. Malik's playing great. Gunner's playing great. Um, so it's, it's hard to say. Um, but if I didn't say Sam at third, I would probably say Sam, uh, excuse me, if I didn't say Sam Howell at third, I would probably say Sam Hartman at, at, at third. So I'd say 3A and 3B for me, the two Sam. Come on. I like that. I like that. I'm not mad at you. No, I mean, I, I think Kenny Pickett is that dude right now. And Brendan has played well. He struggled a little bit at Miami, but also Mac and I joke that he like, he walks into the stadium basically in a body cast because he's having to carry Virginia and they just roll him onto the field and he has to go play. It's tough with no running game. Okay, let's talk big picture, EJ, because this season overall has been ridiculous. 33 ranked teams have lost so far this year. Bama and Georgia seem ahead of everyone else, but I would caution. Like, I think they both look great. Not trying to take anything away. But Florida had every chance to beat Bama. And Clemson, who isn't even ranked anymore, like you mentioned, had every chance to win that game against Georgia. So looking at the big picture, what do you think is more likely we get a two-loss team in the playoff, which I guess could be Clemson technically if they look a lot better moving forward, or a group of five team like Cincinnati, perhaps. Hmm. So Emac already knows how I feel about this. All right. So <laughs> glad you asked that, Kelly. I personally think we'll have a group of five team. I think the fact that Cincinnati beat Notre Dame at home, that's probably the biggest victory in Cincinnati football ever. Yeah. Um, I think they've always been that team that's quote unquote odd man out the BYUs of the world, the team that, you know, and that's why they're moving on to the big 12, because if they play the, the same brand of football that they're playing uh, in their respective conferences right now, they'd have chances. They have legitimate reasons to be in the top four. So I would say, uh, I don't think there's going to be a two loss um, team that gets in the playoff. I would say it'll probably be a group of five team, whether it's Cincinnati or even BYU, if they continue to trend up like they are. Come on. I, I like that. I, both have never happened, so I'm excited to see if there's see a it. chance for either or maybe both. Who knows? Maybe there's another one-loss team from another conference. You know what I mean? Like, maybe the SEC, and let's be honest, I'm sure that, you know, the is probably going to get Bama and Georgia. Both are going to be, it's just a matter of which one's going to be one or, or three or four. You know what I'm saying? So, Whoever wins the SEC will probably be one. And then whoever loses the SEC will probably either be that third or that fourth team. So you can almost bank on there being two SEC teams in there. Um, but also, guys, the big the Big Ten. They're, I mean, they're deep. 
this year. You got Iowa, you got Penn State, uh, Michigan's balling, Michigan State's playing great. So there, you know, a lot can happen, uh, especially in that conference, because they're kind of going to implode themselves by beating each other. How interesting would it be if we have two SEC, two Big Ten schools? I mean, that would be just nuts. The, the expansion would happen the next day if that was the case. Do you the think case. the alliance dies at that point? Oh, yeah. Every, the Pac-12 yeah. and the ACC are out of the alliance, of that <laughs> yeah. is, for well, sure. I think the Pac-12, I'd be shocked if Oregon had a chance to get back in it just because right. Stanford's not having the best year. Um, I would say it's a long shot, guys, to see Clemson back in contention for the playoffs no, for this sure. season. For sure. I was throwing um, a bomb. We're yeah, no, they technically have we're two losses. You. but right, No doubt. No, I, I know. I know. I know where you're going. But <laughs> I, I just think that um, this is – if there is a year, unless Cincinnati completely, like, embarrasses themselves – to a team they have no business losing to moving forward. I feel like this where this would be a year they have they have the best chance to get into it. Yeah, no doubt. All right, last one for you. Is there a team that you have your eye on that, you know, maybe he's not in the top eight right now that could make a big run and could make it to that final four if, if just chaos happens? Uh, is there a team that you really like and got your eye on? Yeah, I would say, give this a good look. I would say Michigan State um, <laughs> is a team that, if they keep winning um, in the Big Ten, I think they have a legitimate shot to for sure get in the top eight. I don't know about the top four, um, but based off what I saw when they played Miami, I mean, they they got dudes. You know what I'm saying? Everybody thinks, oh, Miami has the speed, and they do. But a lot of times those guys from Michigan State were outrunning the guys from Miami. You know what I mean? So uh, I think they have the, the look of a team. Um, I think they have a quarterback that can make enough plays uh, with his arm uh, to obviously go out there and, and, and lead a team into the you know the college football playoff. Uh, and I would also say Kenneth Walker III, uh, ex-ACC running back, that dude is completely balling for Michigan State right now. So kudos to him finding a home up there uh, in Spartanville. And, you know, I think that's a team that can maybe make a run at getting in that top eight and maybe even the top four. Come on. Let's mark the tape. If Michigan State right. makes a run. We're going to make EJ look like a genius. You know why, guys? And I said the same for Wake Forest. If you look at Michigan State's schedule, okay, so the, the, they have Michigan, who's ranked ninth. They have Ohio State, who's ranked seventh. And they have Penn State, who's ranked fourth. So they have opportunities. If you go out and win those games versus the teams that are still kind of in the top 10 or top 15, the committee is like, all right, well, you beat those are quality, quote unquote, wins. And so um, that's where I wish Wake Forest had it, you know, or wish another team in ACC had it. But that's what happens when the, the conference isn't necessarily playing as great, uh, you know, all around. On top of a, a conference championship, which you know they're going to play another ranked team. So I'm right there with you. I, I love that pick. Love the, love the insight, man. This was so fun. Thank you for joining us. Uh, our first repeat guest ever, bro. Yeah, so congrats yeah. on, okay, congrats yeah. on so that. That's big time, man. I'm, that's, <laughs> big time. I'm back right here right there. I'm proud to be. But seriously, <laughs> thank y'all uh, for having me. You guys do a great job. And uh, I hope y'all have me back during basketball season so I can get some of those fire questions from Kelly oh, as well. Oh, yeah. EJ, do you wait? EJ, do you hear that? Do you hear that? It's my helicopter. I'm about to land uh, go. Okay. right outside your house. I'm going to come hang. I know you got a pool. Pull up on me yeah, anytime. But I really Pull only have me. about 15 minutes for you. So um, Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Coach Saban had like 20, 25. So. Okay, well, yeah, you know, I mean, fine. I'm more important that's than That's fine. Him, so. Okay, fair enough. But no, thank y'all for having me again. <laughs> I'm so glad that EJ was our first repeat guest because he, I know you and EJ are besties and I've gotten to know EJ pretty well through you. He is truly 
as good of a guy as he sounds like on our shows. He's just, he's a great guy. He's got great insight. He's funny. And the Nick Saban story, I, I don't think I'll ever get over that. <laughs> Landing the helicopter to talk to EJ for 20 minutes and then saying, all right, peace do, out. Do bye. you think? Like that, that's crazy. Do you think what happened is Alabama got wind that Tennessee flew a chopper up there. So they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll bring ours too. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And I love that Bobby Bowden didn't need a chopper because he was that big of a deal that people just followed him wherever he went, which, like I said, was a huge flex. No question. So many great stories, great insight. Really wanted to just dive all around the conference with EJ and get his take. Uh, you guys, as we already said, can find that each and every Saturday on the huddle. EJ does such a great job and, and really Woo-hoo. provides unbelievable insight for us. But that's it, y'all. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, follow our podcast. Drop us a little five-star rating or write us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all.